Hello and welcome to the third episode of the PSPA podcast, which has been brought to you thanks to the kind support of the Pavers Foundation in memory of Mary Yule. I'm Liz Sturgis, one of the PSPA's Helpline Care Navigators. I hope you'll join me once a month as I chat to various carers, professionals and PSPA staff members. Today we're talking about delayed diagnosis. I'm joined by Denise Hunt and Naveen Suak, both who have had their own experience of a parent receiving a delayed diagnosis of PSP. Denise, should we start with you? Your mum's currently living with PSP. Can you tell us a little bit about her diagnosis journey, what symptoms your mum had, for how long and how they were investigated? Yeah, of course. Um, so it all started back in about 2000, and, well, it was two, April 2014. Um, and mum started complaining of having a, a what she described as a fuzzy head. She couldn't really describe what it felt like. She said she felt like she was all at sea and that her head just felt muzzy and fuzzy. Um, she had got quite bad backache at that time as well, which she just assumed was sciatica and she was seeing an osteopath for that. And then as time went on, um, she continued to complain about her head. She continued to complain about her back. She saw her GP. Her GP referred her to um, an ENT specialist to check her ears and check for dizziness. Um, and then gradually she started having sleep disturbance um, and she had some falls, which we did just put down to her age, really. And I noticed that her mood was changing and that she just constantly was talking about her illness and how ill she felt. And some of her friends from church phoned me and said they were finding her difficult to get on with because she was so sort of self-obsessed with it. Um, and then, yeah, then there was a long sort of journey of different consultants. She saw a pain specialist. She saw a, a, a surgeon for her back, um, all different people. Um, and the falls were continuing. We were buying her many walking aids and couldn't understand why when she had a trolley, she was still falling. And, and this was, was sort of going on and on. And it went on for, um, well, for a couple of years when she was then referred to a care of the elderly physician. And he diagnosed her with normal pressure hydrocephalus, which is a buildup of, of fluid on the brain. And um, she had a lumbar puncture for that diagnosis and then he operated on her and fitted a shunt into her brain to regulate the level of fluids that were in her in her head um, and that didn't really help and no one could understand why and he was constantly uh, adjusting the shunt settings and then he said he would operate on her back to try and relieve the, the nerve pain on her back so later that year he operated on her for that but again still no improvement and still no improvement with her sort of PSP type of symptoms. Um, and then in, I think it was June 2018, um, maybe July 2018, she had a really nasty fall and ended up in hospital. And bizarrely, I was actually quite pleased by that because now I had her in a building with all the consultants and I was yeah. like, she's not leaving until you work out what's wrong with her. Um, and it was, you know, it was in that hospital, somebody said something um, that made me go and have a good old look at the internet. And I came across the PSPA website and read about PSP and thought, actually, that sounds exactly like my mum. So I went back into the hospital the next day and asked the consultants 
there to consider what I'd found on the on the internet and lo and behold two days later we got a PSP diagnosis wow. so four and a half years four and diagnosed and a half years. yeah diagnosed by Dr Google wow and can I ask how old your mum is now she is 80 oh that's a good question she's 86 <laughs> I think she was 79 okay. when this all started because it was the diagnosis was three years ago yeah Okay, gosh, she went through a lot, didn't she? And yeah. Naveen, your your mum also has had PSP. Um, does the dis, the experience Denise has described resonate with you? And can you tell us a little bit about what happened with your mum? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot of similarities that Denise uh, ex- yeah. you know, talks quite so passionately about, and it's very emotional as well for me because mum's no longer around. But the one thing about PSP. Um, from our experience, I'm sure experiences of families around up and down the country, it's very personal. The types of symptoms that a, an individual gets are very personal to them. So my mum had um, double vision. Yeah. The, as, as we know now, the super nuclear bit, I think, of PSP. And she complained that she couldn't see. She, she kept seeing her eyes crossing. So we had hundreds of ophthalmology appointments and she had this she had this pair of bifocal glasses that she lost and she she sweared by them but the ophthalmologist said that you know your eyes are just not suitable for for a bifocal type um of glasses and I think she you know for a good number of years she was getting a bit confused about um you know dates and details and she she would she was very independent she actually moved to Hemel Hempstead from our home in Cheshire to get a new life. And it, and it was literally six months after she moved that she got that diagnosis. But for a good number of years, it was eyes. And as Denise suggests, it was a back falling and actually yes. falling backwards. And I am a pharmacist, uh, still out, still am a pharmacist, trained as a pharmacist. So I know the symptoms of Parkinson's. But the one thing I didn't realize, I was trying to get in my head, Parkinson's, you fall forwards. You stutter and you, yes. you have the stuttering and you fall forward couldn't understand the falling backwards and she would go out and do her independent just fall backwards just almost just like that now thankfully uh she never ended up in hospital with her falls but you know because of the falling her gp initially thought it was parkinson related we got referred to the falls clinic locally in, in hemel and she fell in the falls clinic right. um when they were trying to work out and she they almost rushed her to, to, to hospital but thankfully she was okay but she had a good number of falls in this time where she'd bang her head she'd get injuries um I mean and the other thing which you know is, is, is scary and some, something for people to be families to be aware of um in, in accommodation purposes we lived she her house she bought was um um a, ter- a, a semi-detached house with stairs and she fell down the stairs a couple of times when she went to the toilets the toilet's opposite the stairs she fell backwards again yes. thankfully she never ended up in hospital but so we had that kind of Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, some neurological, is it postural hypertension, all the kind of queries. And then we actually are pushed for a neurological consult- consultation privately in Watford. And the consultant then said, I, I think this is P-. he, he was a neurologist, a very experienced one, but he said, I think this is PSP. And I've never heard of PSP myself. And what was interesting about the diagnosis when it came was that he was almost in glee. You know, it's almost like, oh, I've, I found another case of PSP. It's so rare. I've managed to diagnose this. So in some ways, it was it was good to get the diagnosis. It probably took about 18 months 
to two right. years, similar to yeah. Denise. But also, then you do your research and you Google, you, your heart sort of thinks about what, what the prognosis might be. So there's no real care pathway for these patients. And there's almost like, you know, I feel as though a checklist of, of things to almost exclude, which should include PSP, and, and no one until then has even talked about PSP uh, to us yeah. as a family or even suggested it could be a particular um condition okay so 18 months two years then for that diagnosis yes. to happen for yeah. you and that's probably right more, yeah and denise more like three to four years for, no about four and a half just four over and a four half, years right. mm. yeah that's yeah. a long time isn't it to to not know yeah. what's happening yeah Just back to you, Denise, what was it like for you and your family to have all that length of time, that four and a half years of not knowing yeah. what was wrong with mum? Well, it was really, really frustrating. And um, funnily, I mean, to be honest with you, if, if we sat and went through all of the sort of, you know, experiences we had on that journey, we would take this podcast and probably another two because it, it's so much. But yeah. Naveen just reminded me of the blurred vision, which um, it actually is, is, is relevant to this question because it highlights the, the frustration because mum used to say again she had blurred vision and she would say oh I can't see the television properly and we'd say, well, there's nothing wrong with the television and it sort of never occurred to us what what was really going on with her and it was this whole frustration of taking her to lots of different appointments and but also a bizarre disappointment when you don't get a diagnosis and and the way the best way I can describe that is at one point there was a query that she might have a brain tumour and I remember taking her to yet another scan and yet another consultant and almost hoping that they would find it and then being disappointed to be told your mother does not have a brain tumour. That has to be one of the lowest points really because to have the guilt of feeling that you wish that would be the answer and then this really weird feeling of disappointment that it's not but because you're so desperate for a diagnosis because you once you get a diagnosis you're on that path and you understand what you're dealing with yes to constantly be told it it might be this oh no it's not it might be that oh no it's not and I'm you know I'm not medically trained so I don't know what the what the suite of choices is so you just you know you just can't see an end to it so dreadfully frustrating and then just going back to the blurred vision some of the things that were said to mum along the way when I look back now were so ludicrous and they were said by consultants or by you know medical people and again that sort of feeling of guilt that I sat and listened to that and didn't challenge it so at one point mum was with the optician and she was complaining that you know she had all this blurred vision and he said well you know you've had a brain operation so we have to wait for your brain to settle down and it's like I came out of that appointment and thought your brain to settle down does your brain settle down is it like a blancmange it was just like the weirdest thing to be told and and then to have that guilt afterwards to think why did I you know I'm an intelligent person why did I not challenge that so yeah really tough on the family a mix of guilt a mix of are you sure mum that you're not just being a little bit of a hypochondriac and you know Mm -hmm. and again when you then get the diagnosis you just think goodness what a dreadful thing we've we've all been through it's really tough really tough yeah and and Naveen what about your family how did they cope with not knowing what was wrong 
Um, I, I suppose, um, yeah, I, really challenging. Um, I mean, I was almost thinking, I think, again, sort of from a, uh, being a healthcare professional, you're almost looking for reasons. You're looking for symptoms. You're looking for, it must be Parkinson's. Cause, you know. And then you look at the age and you know, loads of people have Parkinson's. So my brother was away, actually, when we got the diagnosis. He was abroad with, with his, his um um, his wife and on holiday and, and it was just almost like it, it just felt as though I mean yeah it's it, I you know I suppose getting the diagnosis to, to Denise's point is almost like a breath of fresh air and and but also it's almost like well now what and you feel as though mm-hmm. things the cogs will push you the NHS will will push into motion and they'll all be just joined up we got talked about a care community a care coordinator which never happened or a care navigator which never happened so it was almost like the fight began then about trying to understand what the best care would look like and getting all the aspects and I, look i'm a healthcare professional i don't wish to criticize healthcare professionals because they're all doing the best job they can but everyone is only really concerned with their sphere of practice yeah so an ophthalmologist only cares about the eyes and I almost think, I actually think, and I don't know, I've done no research on this, is that almost like that blurred vision that Denise also talked about could be one of the first symptoms. And it should be something that perhaps ophthalmologists should think, oh, could it be PSP? Could it be something that's neurological in basis? So you would go to see a, a GP who would be interested in the elderly care kind of thing, you know, the falling. You'd go to the ophthalmologist who just cared about the eyes and think, well, you know, sorry, you know, you just have that prism type glasses you put where you have a, yes. you have a, they put that kind of, you know, and again, to need to point, it almost feels a bit like, you know, well, there's got to be something more than this. You know, they they put a sticker on one of the eyes, the lens of the eyes, so you don't get that blurred vision. So effectively, one eye is blocked, similar to wearing an eye patch and looking like a pirate. Yeah. Um, but it was hard. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, and and, and you, you felt as though once you got the diagnosis, the fight would be over and there would be some sort of care pathway. But there isn't. And uh, that's the kind of thing I wrote about in the article I wrote for PSP Matters in, in the autumn edition last year. There needs to be some sort of asking questions and making sure that families are prepared for the for the journey ahead because we know this condition and, and CBD as well. Uh, we know there's no cure. So we need to make sure that people who suffer from these conditions, their life is made as comfortable as possible in the time they have alive and their families as well and so that struggle is is there before diagnosis and once you get diagnosis the struggle unfortunately continues I think you've both mentioned this but there was a real turning point in getting the correct diagnosis um so Denise for you it was when mum was admitted to hospital following a fall Mm. you Naveen it was having the private consultation um how did what did that mean in terms of the support that you were able to access and and also for you you know for her for your mums and for yourselves did it did that change then uh sadly it wasn't I mean obviously getting the diagnosis was that oh my goodness now we know what we're dealing with breath of you know fresh air sort of thing but sadly it didn't really improve at that point at all um my mum for various other reasons didn't own her own property and at that point she was told she couldn't not go home she would need to go into a care home ideally one with a nursing wing to it a nursing care arm to it um and I remember sitting in the consultant's office in the RUH in Bath 
um, who had just formally given me the diagnosis because they'd finished running, doing their tests and stuff and said to me, your mum can't go home. She'll need to go to a, a care home. And I said, OK, then I said, so I'll start the funding battle, shall I? And he said to me, oh, there won't be any battle. This is a cut and dried case. They'll be fine. Six weeks later, with a social worker who was threatening to resign if my mum didn't get her funding, we finally got the funding. That was, I would say, one of the most stressful six weeks of my life. So my mum was ready for discharge after two weeks and sat basically bed blocking for four weeks while the powers that be decided who and how her care was going to be paid for. Um, Absolutely awful. So that was the first battle. Um, What sort of funding are we talking about here? For the care home, because she didn't have her own property. She would need to go in a care home. So it's not CHC funding. It's just basically social social services funding for the care home. Okay. Um, Which, again, is a whole other discussion worthy of a podcast. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, And then, obviously, from a medical perspective, my poor mum never actually went back to her flat. She literally went from the hospital into a care home. She didn't really get any support from a mental health perspective. Um, she, got, she was now under a consultant. So obviously I felt that that was good, that she was under a consultant who would take on her care. But there was no joined up like physiotherapy or SALT team or, you know, nothing. And, you know, I don't know, it's a, a really difficult thing but without sounding too negative I can't help but just think that because she was sort of popped into a care home w- was that just like right she's there now we don't need to worry about this person anymore she's not falling out in the street she's not making her own food she's there and that was it really and it was only because I've pushed for things since I pushed for her to have a, a sort of a consultation um, with a member of uh, the mental health team because I felt it was so devastating for her one minute to be struggling along at home on her own and the next minute to literally be in hospital and not go home again. I mean, that's massive. I cleared her flat for her. She didn't even be able to come and point to things that she would like to take, you know? It's massive. Just Naveen, what... You know, what, how did you feel when the diagnosis was made in terms of support for your mum and, and for family? Um, yeah, we, we uh, you know, we, the consultant said there's a, there's a community care navigator and that there wasn't, unfortunately, because they had just resigned and there was no funding available to, to get their replacement. Um, I've always thought being out in, my mum lives in Hamill, I always thought the proximity to London would mean that we would be able to move into London care and get support of say uclh queen square the national hospital for neurology would be one of the premier places to go but it was still a fight to get a, a referral to there and then once we got the referral i thought as though well we're in the best hands now but then the, the other another battle came where we would get an ophthalmology appointment on a monday a physio on a tuesday and a neurology on a wednesday and you're thinking well i can't be in london three times a week um yes. And there was, there was no joined up thinking. It was almost like, well, it's the only point we have. If you can't make that, it'll be one in six months' time. You think, well, okay, I'm going to make it happen then. And, um, yeah, it was just, um, th- there was no signboard. And the PSP Association were excellent in terms of, you know, providing things like prism glasses. And, you know, you're, you're at the behest of a system which operates in a certain way. And even when you know how the system is supposed to operate, and that's why I think it's, to real challenging for 
families out there who try and understand how to get the best care and there's a whole mishmash I think mm -hmm. um but I, again it was it was really really challenging from the perspective of you know um getting understanding and, and sort of I'm a passionate believer I'm in my current role and my new role I'm going into about this idea of um when you go and see a healthcare professional in, for any any diagnosis or anything you have a condition they always say why are you here what is the matter with you yes but that's the wrong question the question should be what matters to you and that's a subtle difference but when you go and see so for psp when you go and see a neurologist they should be asking you a question oh, it may not be a neurologist or, or a care coordinator saying okay as a patient or as a, as a, as a sufferer um, who has these conditions and the family, what are the top three things that matters to you? Is it your eyes? Is it your mobility? Is it your ability to, to be independent living? So do these talks, you know, about, you know, I, it's, I would, would use the word advisably, but her mom became a prisoner effectively in a nursing home almost from day one of diagnosis. We, we managed to get, we fought to have my mom, and, and the entire time, my mom stayed at home which was really challenging because the home wasn't set up to have the, the care for her. But I wasn't yeah. sure nursing homes were set up for that care either. We went to see loads of nursing homes when, when her condition got worse. And they were like, yep, we've got an Alzheimer's floor on the top floor. She can go there. And I'm like, but it's not Alzheimer's. Yeah. It's not Alzheimer's. <laughs> and if you put her in that scenario where you're people who are not going to be able to speak to her in different conditions, she'll be completely isolated. So it was a strange scenario being isolated at home or isolated in a care home. And where's that, where's that middle ground? There isn't any. So real, real challenge for the lack of you know, awareness of the condition and then even getting the joined up care from health and social care. So we managed to get CHC funding two years after her diagnosis, having tried the third time, third wow. time and asking. Because CHC is a, still a bit of a lottery and they want it. You have to try and present a case of how bad the situation is. Yes. Um, to even get the funding. And it's really challenging to get that which is a shame, really, because it shouldn't be like that. No, no, it is a, it's a very difficult situation and it can be diff different across the country, can't it? Uh, so I just want to move on to sort of raising awareness of PSP. You've, you've both kind of hinted at it, Nevin particularly, um, and I know you're both real advocates for raising awareness about PSP and CBD. Um, Denise, I'll start with you. Why, why do you think it's so important to raise awareness? Okay, so, um, so when mum did get the diagnosis and we'd, I'd look, read every word on the PSP um, Association website, <laughs> um, I almost straight away asked to become a volunteer educator because... and which I am. And yeah. the reason why is because I felt we had been robbed of so much time that we could have had with my mum when she was well. Um, we could have gone on, you know, we could have taken her on holidays, we could have gone on day trips, we could have had family times, we could have, you know, really had those times. And even if we'd had that diagnosis, knowing what was wrong with her, it would have given us the time to appreciate, A, how she was feeling and, and be accommodating to that but also to spend you know lovely times together whereas actually all of that time was spent going to different hospital appointments worrying discussing her condition but not knowing what it was about so I just feel that you know the earlier people know a 
the more investigations they can do, which you're going to come to in a minute around what sort of support do you look for, um, when you're not faced with the shock of the diagnosis, yeah, just just the more we can get it known out there, then the safer people can be as well. Because, you know, we didn't know why mum was falling backwards. I didn't know that, you know, buying her a row later to go forwards was not, why did that not stop her falling? And things like that. I just think, yeah, we just had, you would have better family times and be able to take the time with the person you love the most before they become too debilitated. Mm. Thank you. And, and Naveen, how about you about raising awareness? I mean, yeah, I, I just, just decide, you know, it's almost like, um, I'm just thinking, I mean, maybe keeping a diary of, of the symptoms that a loved one or of that kind of age group who may be susceptible to this condition, these conditions, PSP in particular, um, just a, a diary of, of what's happening, you know, was the, because almost in hindsight, you always think, could it have been anything else? Could it have really been anything else? Was uh, mm. was the the blurred vision and the falling backwards? There aren't many conditions where you fall backwards, as far as I'm aware. No. I mean, you can, yeah, and that's that's a that's a real that's a real you know a symptom of of people with PSP. Um, but I, to Lee's point about um, you know treasuring the time you have, yeah. So I suppose I guess I guess thanks to my goal, I suppose. But we're very lucky because I my mum was still at home. I t- it, from her diagnosis to when she passed away, I took her on two holidays. We went to um, Athens and we went to the Algarve. Um, and yes, she fell a few times when she was there because I was trying to do hundreds of things at the same time. Thankfully, she was okay. I treasured those times that we spent together because had she been in a different care situation, we may not be able to do that because no one would have said she'd been able to do. And there were fights within our family. I've got other healthcare professionals in my family who was like, well, it wouldn't be safe to take her away. What if something happens to her? What if she fell yes. and hit her head and you're in a different country? Where would you get that care from? But so I think to, to awareness, raising awareness is almost, that's why I'm, you know, I'm trying to do some work with a, as a voluntary policy advisor for PSPA to talk to uh, organisations like NICE and you know, MPs about saying, well, we need and the standard of care for these patients. We have no standard of care. It's very much postcode uh, lottery about where you live and the services you have around you. And then almost that that comment about what matters to you, right? We don't, unfortunately, and not the only condition that has this, it's particularly neurological conditions in my view, the time you're, you're only, the, the situation is only going to get worse for these individuals right, and their families. It's, it's a progressive condition as, as the name suggests. What can we do then to help make their lives as comfortable as possible? What does what matters to them? What can we do around that? Instead of trying to do everything, you can't do everything. You know, I had a fight with my brother where we were having all these appointments in London, and my mum said, and my brother said to me, "Are you giving your mum false hope because she thinks you'll be going to take you to an appointment to see this consultant, and there'll be a magic cure or there'll be something that they can do? Why are we doing this? You know, it's almost unfair because she she's almost like." could help me deal with this when it when we actually sat down and said look it's not going to get any better what can we do to make your life possible we did that as a family yes. no one suggested to us we should be doing that yes of course there were the palliative care discussions but like palliative care is a you know it's an emotive word because it suggests that you're on a you're on a decline that could be a steep decline so there needs to be support to be able to help have those discussions from the uh, emotional and from the um 
the family perspective, the social perspective of being that you know cohesive unit and how we can then make sure that that we spend the time with that individual, you know, as much as possible. Because mm. I was in my mom's care for two years. I had a very, very understanding employer. If I was in any other sector, uh, you know, even in the NHS, if I was a pharmacy in the NHS, I wouldn't be able to hold out a full-time job and also be a carer. But it also meant that, you know, I enjoy, I look back and think I treasured every single minute of it, but it was challenging. It was hard. It was yes. very hard. Yeah. And then there's no respite for the carer if you do that. Even when we had carers coming in, we had, we had at one point, we had a, a living carer and a carer coming in every all night. You know, right. we were paying for personally. Yeah. Um, until the last six months where CHC picked it up. So, but, you know, it, the awareness is, it's is crucial. And almost, you know, for people who are out there listening to this podcast who think to themselves well I don't know what's wrong with my parent or, or an elderly relative start thinking about you know what 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 could be I, I wouldn't necessarily go down the route that Denise did very proactively looked at Google and said is it PSB I mean that that's brilliant but it should be like that we need to be able to use the resources available to you and, and reach out and and ask questions as the professionals that are involved in their care but also organization like the PSPA it's invaluable that they're around because there's nothing else okay thank you so I think what I'm hearing from both of you is um if awareness had been if there'd been more awareness of the condition when both of your mothers were being diagnosed then the time you had with them would have been spent more as personal time rather than appointment time mm. really so and as, as Naveen said, we know from the name of the condition it's progressive and therefore you want to make the most of the time mm. that you have, don't you? And, and so do you think retrospectively that with, there are any tips you'd like to share with listeners who perhaps have loved ones who've not yet got a confirmed diagnosis? Are there the things that you would have done differently Denise? Um, yeah I mean I suppose just to be aware of this revolving door many many appointments with many different consultants and and just it's very difficult because if you're in that you almost can't see outside of it and you know when you're saying about they're not got a confirmed diagnosis frankly you don't really ever get a confirmed diagnosis during life so it's almost like at what point do you consider you've got this confirmed diagnosis? So I suppose my top tips would be totally, as Naveen says, keep a diary of symptoms, read up as much as you can on the PSP website around PSP and, and CBD, but also to look and think about what's available because nobody ever sits you down with a list of like, you can have a physio, you can have an occupational therapist, you can have the SALT team. Nobody does that. So almost start thinking about that for yourself. And then I suppose I've touched upon spending lovely family time. That's a given. Try and, you know, approach that with your best ways you can and do what your family like to do, whatever that is. Um, I think one of the things Naveen said, which sort of struck a chord with me, and this is around the discussions with your loved one. So it's a very, very scary thing to discuss once you get that diagnosis and to sit down and say, what do you actually want, mum? Do you, you know, because that, or dad, depending who it is, if you're not trained to do that, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And this is a very damning mm-hmm. diagnosis. And looking back, I wonder if one of the things we've done wrong is, if that's the right way of thinking about it, 
is we've tried to protect her. So we've tried to protect her of knowing what this is going to do. But of course, it's going to do it. So now she's starting to have swallowing problems, but we've never really talked to her about that. So I, I don't know if we've been right to have protected her, but it's very difficult to sit down and you can't just sit down and say to someone, right, you've got this and this is what it's going to do, this, this, this and this to you. So I don't know that we've got it right or we've got it wrong, but it's just something, I guess, that I would reflect on now and think, would I do that differently? You know, she's an adult. Maybe we shouldn't have protected her from it as the level we, with which we have. It's, yeah, it's a, a decision you make at the time, isn't it? And just really tough. Yeah, yeah, really tough. Naveen? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's sort of, well, hindsight is very powerful, isn't it? It's sort of something you wish you'd done, but I think it's important that the family get a chance. And, and Denise is right, those conversations are incredibly difficult to have as a family because, you know, I don't like the word palliative care, but I can't think of another word for it. No. It's, it's actually recognising NHS palliative care, right? So we can't really, you know, I think of ways of talking about it. My, my dad unfortunately passed away 10 years ago. My mum has had fun, you know, had, 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 had hard memories of that. And when the word was announced, you know, suggested to her, she almost recoiled because she thinks to herself well that's exactly what happened to her husband our father um the diary i think is important i do actually think the two things that i've said before about an understanding of what what you know what you know what matters to families and individuals who have this diagnosis you know um and to write that down as a family and then also it's challenging but you can't yeah i would tend to my mom always said that she wanted she's always said that she wanted to die well we never knew what that meant to die well <laughs> yeah but in hindsight it probably meant that she didn't want to have every single you know just prolonging life now it's a difficult conversation to have right because sometimes you prolong someone's life for the because of the family more than the individual yes um, but it may not be in the individual's best interest to do that. So that's a challenging conversation. The, you know, my mum had swallowing difficulties relatively fairly, fairly on and every healthcare professional around her suggested she should have a peg tube and she didn't want one. No. And we decided that, was, that if she didn't want it, that was fine. It was a challenging decision. I, you know, I read some discussions about it <coughs> online and on the Health Unlocked website. But the other thing I would do about the diagnosis, the PSPA, they had some really good resources about for GPs and people in the community about things to look for. Do your reading, do a bit of research. Um, I mean, it sounds hard, but you do need to be able to um, almost exclude things and have a discussion as a family about the symptoms they're having and almost write a list of symptoms to say to um, healthcare professionals, look, this is in last week, this is what my parent relatively relative is suffering from it fell six times or whatever her challenging talking the, the low quality of voice all those kind of things are things that people should be looking for and keeping that diary because it's very hard to forget and almost showing that to a healthcare professional when you who regardless of who they may be because they can help somebody get an easier uh, diagnosis and also easy care afterwards then that but that's a, a real positive mm. thank you um, are there any final things that you, you want to say about this whole process of, um, of getting a diagnosis, either of you? Denise? Um, uh, well, no, not particularly. Just the PSP is an amazing organisation. Make sure you utilise all of the information and the helpline. Um, 
yeah just as a family stay strong that's all I can offer <laughs> thank you Vivian no very similar PSPA the PSPA Association are very good um, and there's a really good resource on the website they've got great care navigators and their staff have been brilliant um, which I think I realised at the time but realise now more now because at the time you're almost fighting battles you don't really see the woods for the trees um, technically enjoy the time in the present that you have right I mean don't think about obviously plan for the future it's important to plan for the future for these progressive conditions don't think about think about the past in the essence that you know you've been through that journey but also think about how you're going to spend the time together so just a day out or even going spending time in the garden you know they're really really um um important memories that you can you can treasure and for the you know because unfortunately the condition is generally downhill until we get a cure until we get some better mm. treatments out there it'll always be that case so it does it does make you think in the present and enjoy the time you have with your loved ones Thank you both Denise and Naveen for sharing your family's experiences. Um, due to the rareness of PSP and CBD, delayed diagnosis is currently common and something many of our listeners will be able to relate to. As a charity, raising awareness will always remain one of our top priorities. If you'd like to help raise awareness of PSP and CBD in your area, you can download red flag posters or our new animations describing common symptoms of the condition and they're available from our website pspassociation.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Thank you.